0: This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extensions Wildcat District with their Extension Crop Report. This report is in response to a program that will be held in Parsons on January 24th called The Weeds of Eastern Kansas. K-State Weed and Herbicide Specialist Sarah Lancaster and Forage Specialist Bruno Perdera will be speaking on all things weeds in crops and pastures. This will be a great time to come and ask your herbicide-related questions please call your local Extension office or visit our webpage if you are interested. This will be in Parsons on January 24th from 1130 to one thirty. Italian ryegrass, also called annual ryegrass, has a high potential to be problematic this spring. The dry soils kept the ryegrass seeds from germinating until the first rain we got in mid-October, the same time that we were planting wheat. Generally, we control the first flesh of ryegrass with either tillage or herbicides, but the germination was delayed. Other winter annuals like henbit are also likely to be a bigger problem. Italian ryegrass is a prolific seed producer at thousands of seeds per plant and can take over parts of a wheat field. Besides a reduction in yield, it can also cause a dockage at the Iranian elevator. Italian ryegrass didn't used to be much of an issue, but it has developed resistances to our common wheat herbicides, which is why we need to use the newer technologies to control it. Like any wheat, insect, or fungus, the primary control is cultural, with crop rotation and planting into clean fields. Ryegrass does a little better with acidic soils, below a pH of 6.0. It also handles wetter soil better than wheat and often outcompetes in the wetter parts of the field. It is no wonder we can have worse ryegrass problems in this part of the state with our acidic soils and wet winters. Ryegrass germinates after wheat is planted and makes a viable seed before the wheat is harvested, so the combine ends up spreading it farther. For the most part, control is going to have some chemical component to it. Much of the Italian ryegrass in this area seems to be developing resistances to the group 2 herbicides, the ALS inhibitors, such as Vanesse, Olympus, Osprey, and beyond. A group 2 ALS herbicides are a big class, so some of that in that family are going to work better than others and the resistant herbicide ryegrass populations. New herbicide modes of action, such as those in group 15, are needed, and this includes herbicides of the Zidua, anthoflex and others. However, these have to be applied at the right time, shortly after weed emergence and what is called delayed emergent herbicide. These herbicides are also somewhat dependent on weather for activation as well. For a shorter residual time, if you are worried about next crop injury, I would also consider a group 1 herbicide, Axial XL or Axial Bold. True post-emergent control of Italian ryegrass is a little harder because we use so rye so heavily on ALS inhibitors that are no longer as effective, but there are still some options. For certain though, attempting to control Italian ryegrass in the spring shortly before wheat joining is unlikely to work. It's important to get control as early as possible, no matter what is used though, Be sure to read the label and know what the planting restrictions are before the double crop soybeans. If you have any questions about controlling Italian ryegrass in your wheat, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District.
1: Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Wildcat District Livestock Production Agent. The current commodity prices have many producers refiguring costs of the usual feeding and management plans for the fall. Dr. Justin Wagner, beef system specialist with K-State Research and Extension has listed some tips to aid cost-conscious producers. Evaluate commodities on a cost per unit of energy or crude protein basis. These calculations are done on a dry matter basis in order to compare dry commodities like corn to wet commodities such as silage or wet distillers grain. Additional charges to include in calculations would be freight, grain processing, and shrink. Maximize the use of possible ration ingredients produced on-farm. There's an old saying, the best way to profit from land and livestock is to walk the crops off the farm, or some such variation. And it has legitimacy. On-farm commodities, especially forages, are usually more cost-effective than purchased commodities, like Preserved forage, also known as hay. Increasing the use of on-farm produced foodstuffs in the diet, even a small amount of lower-cost ingredients like straw, may reduce ration costs. The impacts of these changes must be weighed against animal performance. Reduced commodity shrink and feed waste. How much of the purchased feedstuffs are lost in storage or handling before they even make it into the feed bunk? On most operations, these losses can range from 2 to 10% depending on the commodity. Although 2 to 10% sounds small, it can really add up. 2% of a ton is 40 pounds. Most producers in our area work in multiple ton increments. So let's look at just 10 ton at a 2% loss. That's 400 pounds. At a cost of 250 bucks a ton, that's a loss of $50. These losses often occur when commodities are handled or loaded into feed mixers. The key to reducing commodity loss comes down to increased awareness of spills and loss from dust when transferring storage bins. $50 may not seem like much, but considering all of the costs of operation, it can impact your bottom line. Focus on feed efficiency. Feed to gain is always important, period. It's the benchmark by which feeding programs can most easily be evaluated on. Newly weaned calves are relatively efficient and can achieve feed conversions of 5 to 1 in certain situations. Feeding technologies like ionophores or management strategies like limit feeding can also be considered to further improve feed conversions. Seek the counsel of a nutritionist or other professionals. Nutritionists not only balance rations, but also assist producers when evaluating commodities and estimating the effects of any ration changes on animal performance. Most extension professionals can also assist producers with evaluating commodities or put them in contact with extension specialists with training in nutrition. For more information, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337.
0: Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's Davin Strons, natural resource and diversified ag agent with her report.
2: This is a Davin Strons, one of the agriculture and natural resource agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. Historically, windbreaks have been planted for a variety of reasons. Some were planted as landscaping by settlers who missed the forests of their previous homes. Others were planted as winter protection for homes and livestock. Windbreaks were also established to reduce wind erosion during the Death Bowl era, when more than 3,500 miles of tree rows were planted. An important yet often overlooked benefit of windbreaks is wildlife habitat. Windbreaks provide essential woody cover, especially in areas where no native woodlands exist. Wildlife have three essential needs for survival—food, water, and cover. A windbreak supplies cover. Cover is necessary for nesting, birthing, escape, and protection from the elements. Well-designed windbreaks provide a variety of habitat, benefits and can create travel corridors to link wooded areas together. Permanent homes for wildlife can be created when locating the planting adjacent to a water source such as a pond. If the purpose of a windbreak is to protect a large spectrum of wildlife, a multi-row planting consisting of evergreens, shrubs, and tall deciduous trees will provide permanent homes for many species of wildlife. However. If upland game birds are the desired species, then do not include tall, deciduous trees in the planting design as hawks and owls will use them as perches to look for prey and deter upland game birds. The area adjacent to the windbreak can also be used to further wildlife habitat enhancement. This can be achieved by planting a strip of native grass, a green strip, or food plots. The best wildlife benefits are realized when windbreaks are planted in an east-west direction. During winter months, direct sunlight is available on southern roads throughout the day, where wind protection is also the greatest. Successful establishment of a windbreak involves proper site preparation, good planting procedures, weed control, and supplemental watering when needed. Managing established windbreaks includes protection from wildlife and livestock, Livestock should never be permitted in a windbreak as they can physically damage trees and shrubs and compact the soil, which will result in poor tree health. A firebreak around a windbreak helps provide protection from wildlife as well. Older windbreaks require maintenance to keep them healthy and functional. Removing some of the trees and or adding new plantings may be necessary. Thinning reduces the competition between trees providing for increased longevity. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been Adavin Strantz with your K-State Research and Extension report.
0: Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report.
3: With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore, bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. Growing plants under cover is one way to protect them from hard frosts and freezes, and to extend the growing season. Cover can be as simple as a milk jug cut in half and put over vegetable seedlings, or as complex as a movable row cover made from PVC pipe and high tunnel plastic. It all depends on how DIY you want your garden to be. The easiest and most common covering method used by home gardeners is the cloach. Cloaches were originally bell-shaped glass jars that protected sensitive houseplants from drafts, but has now taken on a different meaning. Cloaches have been adapted to outdoor gardening in order to harden off early spring transplants such as peas and get them in the ground sooner. There are branded cloaches, but if you want an extra touch of DIY, saw a plastic milk jug in half and place it over the outdoor transplant. This will create a greenhouse environment by absorbing the radiant heat and light from the sun. Take care to not let your transplants dry out. Even in winter, the sun's light is still an effective heat source. Cold frames are another cover structure well suited to gardening. These boxes consist of a frame, a hinged lid, and glass panels. In typical garden cold frames, the lid is simply a window on a hinge. This window is often oriented towards the south in order to catch the most light from the sun. Cold frames are often vented to allow a little cold in. This allows plants inside to harden off to the cold gradually without risking their lives. Cold frames are the most aesthetically pleasing of all of the cover options for your garden, as decorations and repurposed windows add a visual flair cloaches cannot. Row tunnels are miniature high tunnels that are designed to cover only a single row of a garden using PVC pipe as the frame and either a polyplastic or a mesh as the cover. Mesh has the benefit of coming in multiple colors, which can allow for more heat capture if the color is dark. On the other hand, Poly is cheaper and easier to seal off from the cold if something were to damage the material. Some commercial gardeners place row tunnels on tracks to easily move from row to row. This, and row tunnels in general, are often too big to be practical for the home gardener. The last covering option should be reserved only for plants that could die from hard freezes, old cloth sheets, or blankets. As with mesh row covers, these can trap and absorb heat during the day and release it slowly at night. It also makes moisture in the air harder to get to your sensitive plants to freeze them. When using cloth, make sure that the blankets are dry and secured to the ground so that they will not fall off or blow away from your plants. Do not use plastic tarps to cover sensitive plants as these can actually cause the plants to freeze more easily. For more information on today's topic, contact your local extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report.
0: Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to k State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KDGF 690 Radio.